Psalm 27. We've been doing uh, walking through some psalms for a few weeks, and we have a, probably another week of doing that as well. But Psalm chapter 27. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that we should be silent before the Word of God, and then before we hear the Word of God, and then we should be silent after we hear the God, the Word of God. We need to be silent before we hear the Word of God, because God gets the first voice. He gets to speak first. And then we need to be silent after we hear the Word of God, because God's Word is still working in us. And I know the cloud of this week, for many of you going back to school, and the excitement and the changes of the fall are coming. So before we look at this, I'm just going to ask you to be silent, to just take a deep breath in and take a deep breath out and look at Psalm 27 this morning together. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversary and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear, for though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble." He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, thanks for your word, that it's true, that you're speaking to us. Lord, thanks for the Psalms. Lord, thanks for the help of them. And Lord, I pray you would just teach us this morning through it, that you would guide us. I pray the Holy Spirit would just remove any distraction you just open up our hearts to hear and our minds just to be encouraged. And you would challenge us and convict us and that we'd be drawn closer to you. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. About two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, I was getting out of my car. Teresa was there. Aaron was there. And we got out and uh, just... As I opened the door, a gust of wind picked up this receipt, a big long receipt that we had somehow still in the car, and it just started to swirl up in the air, and we watched it for a minute, and I walked over to get it, and it started to come down, and it swirled back up again, and so it went on the other side of the van, and it swirled back down. Teresa went to get it, and it swirled back up again, and the wind just kept swirling this thing, and for about two or three minutes, we just watched this thing go up and down all over the place, uh, swirling around. We had no control, and we could not catch it. And that may be how some of you 
feel or you're experiencing right now. Things are just swirling or they're beginning to swirl around of you. You'd like to catch them. You'd like to get it back under control, but things are just swirling. And as you go to grab something, it pulls away. Or as it comes down, it sneaks off from you. Uh, this is how things happen. Things can swirl in our lives. Phone calls can swirl things up. Situations in our families can swirl things up. Situations in our work can swirl and change and cause all kinds of consternation for us. But how do you find a solid path of confidence when all around you things are swirling? That's what Psalm 27 does for us. But that finding the path of confidence, you need a resource. You need a rock. You just need some deep roots, which is what the book of Psalms does. The book of Psalms, N.T. Wright says, the Psalms represents the Bible's own spiritual root system for the great tree we call Christianity. And when you read the Psalms, it is just part of this deep root system that that helps us understand and know and grow in our Christianity. It is a great help. Their prayers, their songs, Jesus sang them. Jesus would have known them. He would have memorized them. And so when you come to the song, I would just encourage you, if you have not read the Psalms lately, or they find these things boring to you, or they're not poems that rhyme, and so they don't seem to fit, I would just encourage you to just to take the Psalms, pray the Psalms. Just read them. Don't feel you need to add anything to it. Just read it as a prayer. That's the way you would pray the Psalms or hear the Psalms. And when you come to a Psalm, we don't examine the Psalms. We haven't spent the last few weeks examining the Psalms. When you come to a Psalm, you don't examine it. You're supposed to let the Psalm, you, you enter into it. You enter into the psalm because this is God's way of reorienting us. It's his his way of saying, here's the world, here's the truth. And the psalms, as you read them, they help reorient us. We, we, We don't look at and examine the psalms and think, are they helpful to me? Let me look at my life situation and see if they're helpful. It's, it's like you don't go to a hospital and say, well, I'm going to examine the outside of it, and then I'll see if I can go and get some help. The, the Psalms are meant for us to be entered into. We, they examine us. They help us. So how do you have a confidence in God when the course of your life has many things that are swirling around? I would encourage you this week with Psalm 27 to not just... To, to start examining it this morning, but start entering into it this morning, and just this rest of this week, just read in the morning or at night, just read Psalm 27 as you go through this week. And the more you read it, and the more you enter into it, the more it will examine you and it'll help you in understanding your life and the swirl of things that may be going on. There's no context for Psalm 27. David wrote Psalm 27, but we don't actually know what situation in his life he wrote it for. It was definitely in a time of trouble, what he was dealing with, but it doesn't, we don't know specifically when it was, but the reality of David's life, that all of his life was filled with trouble. When he was a young boy, Saul was chasing after him. When he became king, he had wars and armies and many people trying to kill him. And as an old man, his own son re- went against him 
and tried to dethrone him. So all of David's life is filled with trouble. So how do you, as a Christian, how do we develop confidence in God when the course of life and things are swirling around? I'm just going to give four things. And the first one is be teachable to God's purposes. Verse 11 says, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Teach me. I mean, this would be the greatest moment for you teachers this week if you had the kids walk in and sit down and they just were like, teach us. Uh, we, we really wanted to be here today. We, we love not swimming today uh, so that we could be here. Te- teach us. This is what David's prayer is to God. Teach me your way. Uh, how do you, how does that happen? How do we allow God to teach us his way and lead us on level paths? The, the way we allow God to teach us his way is we have to be present. We, we have to be there to be able to be taught. It says, teach me. It's very personal, Psalm 27. It says it's personal and it's present. To be taught, you have to be there. You have to be present. You, you may be wondering what's going on in the swirl of your life and wondering what God's doing, but you're not actually allowing yourself to be present before God. So you say, God, teach me. We are so loud and so filled with noise to distract us from all the things that are swirling to make us feel better instead of saying, God, I'm just going to come before you and be present. And I'm going to let you teach me. We have to be present. It's teaching me. It's personal. We have to be silent. Teach me your way. The only way we're going to know God's way is if we let God tell us his way. And the only way for God to tell us his way is to be present and then to be still before God, which is humility. I'm helping Micah Bennett coach his soccer team, and there's four and five-year-olds this year, and as he's teaching them, we started, we had a couple practices, and they're four and five, and they're so excited about soccer. And so he's trying to teach them something. They're present, but then they're just talking all over the place. Uh, and it's great. And, I, and so as he taught, the, as he's teaching them, I'm, and he has this great line, he'll say to them, uh, hey, catch your bubble. And he tells them all, take a deep breath and hold their breath. (gasps) Catch your bubble. Be silent so that the coach can teach or the teacher can teach or that God can teach. Some of us need to constantly say, hey, God, help me to catch my bubble. There's so much noise, so many things that I got to say, so many things I'm, I'm chirping about. But God says, be silent. Teach me your way. Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God. And the phrase for that be still means be still or let hostilities cease. Be, be still before God where it's, God, I am going to just be still before you. When Elijah was struggling with the swirl of his life and wondering what just happened, he had great victory, and then there was great defeat, and he heard that he was going to be killed, and God sends him away. He's greatly depressed. He's discouraged. He's frustrated. And God comes to Elijah, and there's all this noise. There's tornadoes. There's whirlwinds. But then there's a still, small voice. And it was in the still, small voice that was God speaking. 
We have to learn to be more silent, to be more still, to catch our bubble so that we can be teachable in God's purposes. You gotta be present, be silent, and be submissive. It says, teach me your way, O Lord. It's capitalized. It's the name for God, Yahweh, the self-existent one, the creator. We are gonna, the, the, the one who's teaching us is, David says, teach me your way, O Lord. The one who created everything, knows everything. So for God, to, for us to be teachable before God's purposes, we, we, we just have to submit to God's will. He is the Holy One of Israel. He is the Yahweh. He is the Holy Self-Existent One. That's the God that we have. That's why the old hymn is so great. Be still. We need to say this to ourselves. Preach this to ourselves. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief and pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. David's prayer at the beginning and, and through this is, teach me. I, I want to know God's purposes. So he asks God directly to teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on the level path. And what does God then teach? If someone comes and they're, they're present and you're silent before God and you're submissive before God, what is it that God's going to teach you? What's he going to teach us? Because he says, teach me your way, lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Which means this is not just a peaceful little reality. This is reality. This is a living life in a real world. It's great just to be sitting on, it's not this idea of just sitting on a high mountain letting God just teach you and all wonderful. It's teach me your way, O Lord, because my enemies are right there. Monday's coming. Tuesday's going to be here. That doctor's appointment is going to happen. These situations are going to take place. There's these, these enemies are around us. And so the Bible is very real. It's very honest. And so what does God teach in that? He says it at the beginning of this. He says in verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? What God's going to teach you, if we listen, is that God is personal. I mean, look how many times he says, my. It's not that God just is light. He's my light. It's not that just God's a salvation. He's my salvation. He's my life. He's my stronghold. My, my, my is all through that. God is personal. He knows you. He cares about you. And he wants you to know that he knows you and he cares about you. He's, he's personal. The Lord is your light and your salvation. Not only is he personal, God's going to teach you that he's present. He's the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? God thinks about you more than the sand and the sea. And if he is the Lord, the Yahweh, the stronghold of your life, which he is, and he's going to teach us, he's very present. No, we don't have to be afraid. He's present with us in that. He's going to teach you that he's personal, he's present, and he's going to teach you that he is powerful. He's, he's a stronghold. He's against these, these enemies. And he says in verse 3, after all those things that take place, yet will I be 
confident. David says, I will be teachable. I want to be present before God. I want to be silent. I want to be submissive because I want to know that God's personal. I want to know that God's present. I want to see and know the power, the power of God. And he says, I will be confident. Or I will just keep on trusting. I'll just keep trusting God when all those things come. But here's the situation. You know, stating that there's no reason to fear, though, somehow does draw attention to the fact that in the world there are realities to fear. I mean, so how does a Christian continue? We have all these swirling things going on, all these this chaos is happening, corruption is taking place, because there's real things to fear. David highlights them. He says don't fear, but then he mentions very graphically that there's things to probably fear. And he says the way we gain our confidence and the way that we can continue with confidence is not only be teachable, but we need to be thinking back to God's past provisions for us. The first half of Psalm 27 is just this Thanksgiving testimony song. It's just this praise and thanksgiving about what God's done for him. Because he says, he tells us what we're up against. He explained what he was up against. You know, what are you up against? And verse 2 says, when evildoers assail me. In verse 3, it says, when encamped armies rise up against him. In verse 12, it says, when there are egregious liars speaking about him. And then all through that, he says, when this happens, or though this happens, or the having this happen. So there's just these everyday frustrations and conflicts that take place. So this is what we're all up against. This is what we are all facing on a weekly basis. There's evildoers. And David described it as people who eat up my flesh. Not necessarily real cannibals, but he's just trying to express, this is what it feels like. When these people are after me, it's like people, they just want to devour me. They want to see me go down. They want to eat up my flesh. And then an encamped army is surrounded by him. And people are lying about me. Just egregious lies have risen up. False witnesses have risen up against me. And then there's just these everyday frustrations. And then you step away from the mirror. Because you realize often that's you. You're your own worst enemy. You're the evildoer. You encamp yourself with armies. You make you listen to the lies in your head. You cause many of your own everyday frustrations and conflicts. The biggest struggle you're going to have probably for the rest of this year is probably not with people outside of yourself. The biggest struggle you're going to have probably for the rest of this year is dealing with yourself. Dealing with all your own sins, your weaknesses, your evil attacks on your own self, your failures, your own sabotage, your own false lies that you believe. But what have we been given in all of that? David says we have a stronghold. He says there's, we have a shelter. We can be concealed in a tent. We have this rock. And David, it's not that David is saying, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That, not that David saying, I want to get out of the, the, the real world and go work in a temple and be a monk someplace. He's saying, but this is how, it, uh, this is what I want to be. I want to be so focused in my life, wherever God has me, that I am just, I'm gazing on the beauty of the Lord and God's protecting us in his stronghold, his shelter, and all these ways that God has to protect us. And the, the evil one, Satan, wants to use the confidence. You can take those verses, you can read them, and be like, yes, this is the confidence that I have in God. And Satan wants you to take, wants to take that confidence and use it to fuel 
condemnation in you. He wants to take these verses today and then say on Tuesday, when you don't trust in his stronghold, when you start to fear, when you, when you start listening to the lies, when you're not handling frustrations and daily conflicts, well, Satan's going to come to you and say, really? You're trusting God? Now you want to trust God? And, and, and all these things that we just said, that he's a stronghold for you, he's a rock for you, he's a conceal, conceal you in the tent. And we say, yeah, I, I want to serve God, I want to follow after God, but why don't I do it? And it's just not worth it. It's just such a struggle. So I'm not going to pick the Bible up. I'm not going to read the Psalms. I'm not going to pause to pray. I'm just going to keep working really hard. And the Satan wants to come and to fuel you and to fuel you into condemnation and to think, that here's all the stuff that's God given you. You're not worthy to have it. You're not worthy to access it because you're not trusting in it. You're not believing it. You're, looking, you're, you're so fearful. You're so frustrated with that guy at work all the time. You really can't be what God's called you to be. But the way you block the condemnation is to look at the beauty of the Lord. This is what David, David did. He says, I want to dwell and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord who is the light. The way you block these false lies and the condemnation is to look at the beauty of the Lord, that he's the light. He's so bright. You just want to think and see and believe that God is who he says he is and let that grab you. That I don't even have time to talk about the beauty of the Lord except to say that's always the way to do it, is to look deeply at the beauty of the Lord and ask God to show me your beauty. That would be my one thing as I go through all the things that we do. So we have to be thinking about God's past provision. But tomorrow comes and troubles arise. And so we have to take very seriously the tensions of God's plans. Very seriously take the tension of God's plans and take them very seriously. The first half of the psalm is a praise and testimony to God. And all of a sudden you get to verse 7 and it says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. It's almost like the microphone uh, squawk just took place. We're, we're praising this great testimony of, from God and all of a sudden whoop, it totally changes. And some people think these are two separate psalms, that they shouldn't be put together. But the point is they should be put together. But there is tensions with the truth of everything that God says about how he's a stronghold, but how we also go through struggles, how we also go through difficulties, and we have to take them seriously. It's thanksgiving and lament at the same time. And Christians have to learn how to have thanksgiving and lament, how we take all the frustrations, all the problems to God. This is what David does. He thanks God while he's living in real troubles, and then he says, oh God, hear me. I, I, I be gracious to me. Answer me. He takes God's very seriously. He takes the tension of how God works very seriously. Now, how do you take seriously the tension of God's plans? You let God be God. He says, be gracious to me and answer me. Troubles came again in David's life. Even though he knew God, God was a stronghold, even though he's seen armies been wiped away, they've seen him stumble and fall, he's, he's escaped being chased. He's seen it all in the past. But once the new trouble came up, the first thing that, one of the, that came to his mind was, how, how am I going to get through this one? Just like we, right? We, we go through something, things go well. The next thought, well, how's God going to get us through this one? 
and we forget. And so we go to Christian lament and we let God be God. We say, I'm going to take my complaint to you, God. You're going to be gracious to me. I'm going to let you be God. And then we look where he says to look. Verse 8 says, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. David knew that God said, seek me, David. Just keep, keep looking at me. And David's response to me is, I'm going to do it. I'm going to keep looking. This trouble seems really big, but I'm just going to keep looking. Your face I will seek. And then we let his word stand. It says in verse 10, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. When trouble comes, it feels like the bright light of God gets turned to dark night. And it just feels like shade is on your life, doesn't it? It feels like when troubles come, you could have had a great worship moment, and all of a sudden the news comes, the troubles come, and an eclipse seems to just take place. Like we're in the shade and God's turned his back on us. It's never true. It feels that way, but it's never true. So we have to let his word stand. And David says, for my mother and my father forsaking me, the Lord will take me. There's no, there's no text in scripture that says David's family actually abandoned him. But what he's saying is, the Lord will take me, and this is the truth that I know about God. Even if I ever came to the breaking point where my parents were like, just I'm done with you, God would still take me in. Because David knew God's word, and he let God's word stand. Like Isaiah 49, 14, where it says, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. And God's response, can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the sons of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. And Isaiah 50, verse 10 says, Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. David took very seriously this tension of God who's very bright and the light, but also this very dark feeling. That's why I just feel like you're in the shade of God, that he feels like he's forgotten. David took it very seriously, but he let God be God. He looked where God says to look, and he let God's word stand. He goes, I know God's never going to forget me. I know God will not abandon me. And then we have to let ourselves be tuned into God's presence. This is what David did. He wanted to dwell in the beauty of the Lord. He knew God was everywhere. He didn't walk into his day and wonder, is God in this place? It seems really dark. Is God in this place? God's in that place. God's working at your workplace. God's working in your home. God's working with the people in your life that are frustrating you. God's working in these situations, even when it doesn't feel like it. And David's prayers, I believe, help my unbelief. That's Christian lament. I believe, but help my unbelief. Because God, it's not that you're not working. You're here so help me to see where you're here. Help me to see where you are working. There's a story that Brennan Manning told, tells of a boy, his family's house caught on fire. And the boy was, they were all escaping. And all of a sudden, the boy, young boy panicked because of the smoke and the darkness. And he went running up back upstairs to his room. 
And the house started becoming more engulfed. The dad and the mom and the youngest sister got outside. And the boy ran to the window to get away from the smoke. And he's looking, and the dad yells up to him, Jump! Jump, I'll catch you! And the boy's response was, But daddy, I can't see you! And the father said, I know, but I can see you. That's God. When it seems the troubles are hard, and it seems dark and blinding, and you wonder where God is, you say, I can't see you. God says, I know, but I can see you. I'm near to the brokenhearted. I'm with you in those spaces. Romans 8 has to be read at this point when we hear and think about our situations And it says, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Our Lord, we have to take the tensions of God that we wonder about and take them seriously. We've got to be teachable. We've got to look back at the past of his provision. Take the tension seriously. And then just be trusting. Be trusting and trusting God. He closes it out with, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. You know who would have sung this psalm? You know who would have had this psalm memorized? Jesus. Jesus would have read Psalm 27, and he would have said, Yeah, I know that there is going to be an army encamped against me. There are people that are going to eat my flesh. There are going to be adversaries and foes that are coming. I know what I'm going to go through. And I think when Jesus would have read and he would have sang this psalm, but then he would have said with confidence, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. The promise of Jesus for us as Christians is that Jesus knew what he was going to go through. He came here for us. He knew there would be people to eat up his flesh, want to devour him. Armies would camp and camp against him. And him being innocent, God would let him die on the cross because he loves you, because he cares about you, so that you could know him, so that you could have this sure foundation. But Jesus also knew and would say, I believe, that he knew the Father would raise him from the dead and that he would look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Because Jesus went all the way to the cross and died, and because he rose again, all of Psalm 27 is true for you. All of Psalm 27 is true for me. It's the promise of Jesus because they had this perfect relationship with the Father. So we just trust God, trust God. We believe and we wait for the Lord. We be strong. We take courage. And we have the right perspective. If you don't have the right perspective and the reality of Psalms and the reality of life, which I think Annie Johnson Flint helped us with. She was a young girl whose parents gave her away when she was being adopted. Her dad couldn't afford her. She moved in this, this Christian family. She grew up to, got, to, be, to be crushed 
with a disease in a wheelchair. But in her life, she wrote some great poems, and she said this, God hath not promised, skies always blue, flower-strewn pathways all our lives through. God has not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain, but God has promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, and undying love. That's what God has promised to you. So we are just called to be trusting and trusting and wait for the Lord. Be strong, take courage, and wait for the Lord. The Hobbit, the Battle of the Five Armies, a movie that came out in 2014, which is a prequel to The Lord of the Rings, has the first 15 minutes of that movie scene is spectacular. The dragon comes up. He's going to devour the whole town. There's fire and darkness and chaos everywhere. Things are swirling around. And on top of the tower in the middle of the town with this gigantic fire-breathing dragon breathing out evil, he looks over and sees Bard the the bowman. And he looks at him and he says, Who do you think you are that you would stand against me? which is what every morning you wake up. The evil one, Satan, saying to you, who do you think you are that you could stand against me? And the bowman looks and his son's up there in the tower and there's fire and there's flames. And he takes his bow and he puts it on the shoulder of his son and he aims it right for the dragon. And everything's chaos and swirling around. And the son's scared to death. And he says to his son, hey, son, stay still, son, stay still. And the son can hear the dragon. He can feel the fire. He can feel the heat. And the dragon roars. And the son looks back for a moment, and the the dad says, hey, look at me. You, look at me. And he lets the arrow go right into the heart of the dragon, and the dragon is killed. The way that we have the perspective and the confidence is to look to Jesus every morning. Get up, read Psalm 27. Remind yourself that God is saying to you, hey, you, look at me, look at me, and walk in the confidence we have because of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.